we're already rolling cameras. Okay, we should be good to go. Excellent. So, real quick, just introduce yourself to, I mean, all 20 people that might watch this that includes members of our family. Nice. <laughs> well, my name is Anissa Fragoso. I am a small business owner here in Merced, California. Uh, my small business is Farmers Insurance. I've been with them since 2012. Overall, my experience, I've been with uh, doing insurance since 2006 as I was a receptionist when I first stepped into the industry. And I'm also the president of the Merced County Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. And are you a Merced local? I am a Merced local. I actually been here for quite a long time. My youngest son was uh, born here at Mercy Hospital when it was still on M and, uh, you know, right oh. there on M and Bear Creek. Cool. Wow. Yeah, so that's almost 20, actually, no, this month has been 28 years 28 since years. I've been, yeah, because I moved here in September of 1995. Wow. And where'd you move from? So, funny story, I used to be married, uh, and during that time, my husband was uh, a correctional officer for the California Department of Corrections. So we we got married in 93, moved down south, because that was during the, um, I believe, the Clinton era, when all the, okay. all the prisons were opening, and they mm -hmm. put all this money into, uh, you know, uh, building these facilities. So we had moved down to uh, Southern California to... Imperial Imperial Valley uh -huh. near the border of Mexico. So uh -huh. El Central California is where we resided. So yeah. he opened up one of the phases of the prison there. And then after that, we uh, he put in for a transfer. And since I was um, kind of over being so far in Southern California that I wanted to be somewhere that wasn't too far from my family uh -huh. and not too close either. You know what I mean? Like we, it was like during a period of time where you're young, you're just not interested in hanging out with your family. Yeah. You know, at least I wasn't. Totally. <laughs> Far enough away, right? Correct. I, yeah. I moved halfway across the country to get away from my family. Yeah, it's but. kind of the opposite. There you go. Yeah, I, so that was really nice. I remember I when graduated college, uh, my dad was like, hey, I'll go with you because I was I got a job uh -huh. offer in California. So we're going to drive to California. And I, the story goes, I demanded yeah. to drive because I lived in Arkansas. So I demanded to drive, uh, got in the car. And I drove all the way to the border, and I was like, "Okay, you can you can drive now." And he's like, "Why?" So I just needed to make sure that I was going to get out. So. <laughs> oh, you needed some insurance. <laughs> yeah, I need I needed insurance. <laughs> so that nice. was that's, that's 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 my story. And then I've been in California now for almost twenty years. Yeah, and you're from Nebraska. Well, I was born in Nebraska, so I was born in Nebraska. Grew up um, in Nebraska and uh, rural Kansas until. Uh, until I was 12, and then we moved uh, we moved out here. My parents moved uh, moved us to Stockton, and then I went to school down in uh, down in Orange County, and worked in Hollywood for a while, and then eventually found my way back closer to family because my my parents now live in Modesto, and my sister lives in Manteca, and my other sister lives in Stockton still. So uh, we kind of did the opposite shift where we like we moved away and then came back. So so you got to Merced in '95, 1995. Yes. So I mean. Let's talk about the changes then that have occurred in Merced. Like, how much has Merced changed since 
95 to, to now. Because when I got here, it was right at the cusp of the UC was like they were breaking ground on the UC. Yeah. So when I came, I remember there was uh, the still the farmer's insurance uh, building out on Girard. So that's how long I've been here. <laughs> I, uh, that building was still here. I remember, I don't recall, I believe the um, drive-in might have been already closed down or maybe going to close down. Uh, I do remember that. And that's the drive-in that was off of Child, right? Uh-huh. So yeah, that was always closed when I got here. And I'm all like, <sighs> I know. I feel like I really missed out on something. You did. <laughs> but, but I think Madero's still got their drive-in. Yeah, they still do, yes. So how how much has Merced changed? Like, um, I I feel like it's changed quite a bit. I mean, I I remember coming downtown, and uh, me and my husband we would frequent uh, Trails End, and I remember when the cruise was right where uh, uh, King Asian is there at the corner. So it was a uh, it was a uh, Trails End where the Partisan was, and then across the street was Star Club, and then around the way on Canal was caps or the sidebar wow which was now o'reilly's so you know and then and then mainzer theater was still open as well i remember going to a um a comedy show there at the mainzer i mean it was kind of a little dusty and musty i mean that's what i remember about the smell and um what else because i remember when i got here it was no longer trails end it was rudy's it was mm-hmm. the jazz club. Rudy's, yeah. Star Club was no longer there. No. They had moved it all the way down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, well, it was Maloney's. So it was Caps, but then it was Maloney's. I used to go to, I used to, I used to frequent Maloney's quite a bit uh, in my, my first few years here. Yeah. I, I really didn't pay too much at- attention to the growth. I mean, like some real serious um, building because during that period of time, I was a young mom. I had, uh, a couple of uh, two-year-olds and three, you know, one-year-old and a two-year-old because my son, my youngest son was born in 95. Mm-hmm. So um, that was going on as a mom, you know, I was a, a wife. And then I was going to Merced College as well during that period of time. So oh. I had a very um, busy, productive daily routine yeah. because my husband was going to work and he was, um, his hours were like around noon, I think, uh, noon to eight mm-hmm. at the oh, prison. Wow. And so I would basically uh, plan my schooling around his time, his schedule, so that way it wouldn't um, cause a hindrance for the kids. And there was always somebody there with them. So sure. I had the opportunity to stay at home and like raise my children while he worked and then go to school part-time. And what'd you go to school for? Just um, At first, I wanted to um, go and get into, um, it's so funny, I started in the criminal justice field because that's where he was. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like was following in his steps. But then um, during that period of time, I had a hard time passing the uh, physical because I was trying to get in with the Department of Corrections also. So... Um, I could never pass that physical fitness part because I was just, I've always been a little fatty. So, you know, you, it, the ability to increase your heart rate and keep it at a certain uh, level without, you know, you either dying on the table from, right. from pedaling so fast and so right. hard. 
But since I couldn't pass it, I just went back. Uh, I changed my major and I just started taking like my general ed because I'm like, okay, if I don't want to do criminal justice, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. And since I didn't know what I want to do, I actually kind of took like an accounting class and business courses. Okay. So I'm like, let's just dive into some business courses. But then the 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 level of, of accounting and the money involved and the uh, receivable and accounts payable, like for me, it was so foreign. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I, I know that this isn't for me because I didn't want to mess with people's money. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's just take a break. So I just literally focused on my general education for a very long time. Just that portion alone on a part-time basis with raising your family took quite a bit of time. So I wouldn't sure. say I even found... Um, going back to criminal justice until probably, um, gosh, what year was it? Oh, eight, I think, because I've, you know, on and off, on and off during a period of time. So literally it took me 20 years to get my associate's degree in, um, criminal justice, which administration of justice is what I ended up, um, fulfilling. But, um, I ended up going at route because I did get into insurance and then I thought, you know what? I'd really like to get into um, to insurance fraud. So you, so your husband was working like a, a noon to eight p.m. shift, mm-hmm. and you had a one and three year old, mm-hmm. uh, and you were going to school. Yes. Uh, around both their schedule and his schedule. Correct. Like that's. I mean, that's tough. Like, right? I mean, that's that's. That's kudos to you for being able to navigate all that. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any problem with like getting your AA or yeah. twenty years later, right? Like uh, just yeah. knowing like the <laughs> the intricacies, like how difficult that is. Like I'm going through it right now, right? Like I'm, you know, I just have a newborn, and already like I'm, I'm exhausted. Like I'm yeah. just like I don't know how other people like navigate it. And thank goodness I have a partner with me, right? And she's there to. Yeah, it is. It is easy to do, or not that easy, but it it is doable. Yeah. Let me just say that it's doable when you have that somebody to support you, but then when you don't have that person anymore, which ended up happening, you know, um, probably after six, seven years of our marriage. Honestly, it was harder for me to do it with teenage boys because then they're going through this teenage phase. And um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I just sometimes they made me want to choke them out because they were just (laughs) unbearably uh, unable to manage. So I could just go to school and concentrate on school. And I used to get so upset with them, you know, um, that I would... um, well, of course, I would, you know, let them have it over the phone because I would get these calls from either the teachers mm-hmm. or I had the police picking them up for whatever reason that they were doing out at the skate park. And so then I would tell them when I'd get home because I, I felt like it was more effective when I would see them. And then I would tell them in my calm manner, I'm going to tell you the the um, PG version, but I basically <laughs> told them, how do you expect me ever to be able to get somewhere in life if you guys don't support me. Mm. I said, I know you guys want to do your thing. I know you're out there just trying to have, you know, whatever fun you think that looks like. I said, but by you getting picked up by the cops or you by getting in trouble in school, I said, that's not helping me. I says, you're hurting me more than you're helping me. And I said, if you just be patient, just be patient with me. Once I get to where I need to be, I'll be able to help you. And during that period of time, we were poor. You know, I mean, I I was living check to check. 
So I knew that they could um, understand the, because, I mean, they knew that we were living paycheck to paycheck. You know, they weren't stupid kids, you know. So I kind of had to guilt them almost into feeling sorry for uh, my situations in order for them to comply. But I, I don't feel like it was kind of like a guilt trip, but it, sometimes you have to give kids a reason to want to do good, you know, versus wanting to think about only themselves. But I needed them to know that what they were doing was adversely affecting me and being able to complete what I was trying to accomplish. What an important lesson to to teach your kids at that age, right? Um, you know, I hear you say that uh, was a guilt trip, or maybe you met like maybe we feel a little bit bad about those things sometimes, mm -hmm. right? Because when we ask things of our children, there's this thing that says we I, I shouldn't have to ask anything of my kids. Right. I should just let them be kids, and, and you know this is kind of what society teaches us, but. In that moment, how important a lesson you teach them that you as a parent are vulnerable, right? That you have vulnerabilities and that you as, as a person need help um, later in life when we teach our kids that they need help or that we need help, right? Maybe they're not so hesitant to ask for help, right? So my question to you is when in your life did you, did you learn that lesson? When did you learn that it's okay to ask other people for the help that you need? Well, I think that I did not learn that till honestly, just recently, because when you're, well, let, let's go back a little bit. <laughs> I was raised, most Latino families are, they raise you to be tough. They raise you to, um, whatever bed you make, you lie in it. And they also raise you to be independent, no matter at what cost, yeah. because, um, I guess realistically, every decision you make in life, you know, you knowingly know what you're doing, right? But then you don't know sometimes the repercussions of whatever might happen. For instance, I knowingly got married, unknowingly I fell in love with this man and I got married to him and then it, things just didn't work out at this certain period of time. So then what do you do with that? Right. Do you ask for help? Um, I didn't feel like it was my family's obligation to help a decision that I made that I knew that I had to make, but teaching this to my children, I wanted them to know that, that everything that I was going through, whether I was crying or angry or cussing, that I needed them to know and understand why mm -hmm. not because I was just, you know, maybe going through a hormonal thing or mm -hmm. whatever that might look like in a woman's view and in a young man's view. Sure. But I was just being honest, you know, and not that they needed to hear the honesty or maybe they needed to be teens or kids, but I needed some kind of complying, you know, compliance from them. So I did not realize that so much older, um, when you are going through something major in your life and you find yourself, you're isolated, you're not talking to anybody, you're crying when you're alone, mm -hmm. that's when you know you need to ask for help. Mm -hmm. So it was during those periods of times is when I, I knew that, okay, this is not normal. You know, I'm feeling a certain way about something that's going on. So that is when I'm like, okay, I need help, you know, yeah. and that's when I've acknowledged those things. I think it's what's interesting is because you brought this up at the um, at the luncheon, right? Is just that, that same that cultural aspect of of 
we don't ask for help in mm-hmm. these Latino households. We don't talk about mental health. We don't talk about um, um, any of these issues. And that really struck me because I grew up in a very um, kind of extended conservative family in the, in, the, in the South. And it was very much the same way. We do not talk about feelings. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up in a, an Air Force household. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like, you know, we don't talk about our feelings. We don't talk about some of these mental health issues. We, you know, we, we, everything's fine. Everything's good. I mean, obviously re- recently, like my family, they've, I mean, we've all had wonderful conversations since then, but I just, it really struck me because it, you know, th- th- that is an aspect of society that here are things that we still won't talk about and we don't talk about. And it feels like that has affected you. Like, and it's kind of colored how you perceive yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, I'm human, you know, um, I don't get the opportunity um, very often where people see me in my vulnerable state. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I've had a few times where like I've had a breakdown and I have somebody, you know, who it just happens like at this crazy moment and the receiving person literally I know when they're there, like they are like a real true friend is when once that we hang up and then that person shows up in my office a few minutes later and they're like, okay, let's go. Like, let's go, let's go somewhere. Let's go just kind of decompress. And then after that, I feel better, you know, and you know, it, that's when you really realize and, you know, with yourself that, um, that it's okay. Mm -hmm. It really is okay to just open up and, and be vulnerable. And, you know, but most of us, I'm sure you just, deal with it you know you suck it up and like they say suck it up buttercup and deal with it and just move on and that's just kind of like i've always been you know i've always been that way so describe like jumping in because so you said that you were interested in in insurance fraud but jumping into farmers jumping into the insurance field like so what what prompted that like you know so the insurance field um i i was unemployed at the time um I want to say it was uh, just a few years outside of my divorce. So um, because the Department of Corrections just wasn't my thing um, too much. It, it was just a lot of, of um, I don't even know what to describe it without being too crass, but it just wasn't a career for me. I'll just say that. So sure. then I, I got so out just of so no, we can We can bleep anything. Right. right? <laughs> you can say whatever you want. Yeah. Well, during that time, I used to call it Department of Corruption. That was my name for the Department of Corrections, the Department of Corruption. Um, and so I, I got out of it. I started looking for work, and I happened to walk in to uh, a mortgage company that was right there at M and Olive. And right before I walked in for the interview, I happened to look to my right and I see Costulus says it has a help wanted on there. So I go to, I walk inside uh, Costulus after that interview or whatever. And then I go in there and then the guy tells me exactly what I need to do to get my insurance licensing. All right. So he spelled it all out for me. I ran with it. At the time, I did ask my family for help because those courses and the fingerprinting and the background, all of that was about uh, between five six hundred dollars, you know, yeah. back in uh, two thousand and five. And after that, uh, I needed to find my foot in the door, so I started bouncing around through local agencies here, and I ended up working uh, for Fletch and Busby for Doug and Jeannie Fletch and Pete Fletch when he was still alive. 
And so they gave me a chance. I was their receptionist and I just kind of started from there. But secretly, I did not tell them that I was already trying to get the do the process of being licensed. So while I was sitting up there, I was just, you know, reading my book and taking notes and learning, learning, mm-hmm. learning the trade, learning how the, you know, how it was all just what's happening around me being aware. And um, I want to say probably six months in, I finally went and told Jeannie that uh, I had an appointment to go take my test. And she was like, oh, my God, you know, she was so happy. And I just told her that I hadn't said anything because I didn't want to raise the expectations. You know what I mean? I um, had already taken it before and it was a hard test. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it took me probably like another six months, maybe nine months in uh, to, to pass. So once I passed, I was just, I went right from the receptionist desk right into the, into a sales agent test and just kind of started from there. So, um, I knew that during that time is when they had passed that state law that all Californians had to have insurance. So I knew Mm -hmm. that was going to be a, a money-making business and it just went from there. You know, I just started, uh, just selling insurance and learning from my colleagues there in the office and. That was a lot of fun. I learned a lot working for Pete and the Fletches. You know, they've really taught me a lot about um, about their service, how they treat their customers and stuff. Like I've, that was probably my biggest takeaway from working from them is how they have uh, advocate for their clients. And so I think that's one of the big reasons why I have such a uh, strong liking in the, uh, the business community because I follow that model that, that Pete had set up a mm. long time ago. So let's switch gears real quick. Sure. And talk about the amazing work that you've been doing with the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Yes. Like like really making them a prominent organization uh, within the county. Um, really shining a light on these businesses, being helpful to all of these businesses. Like, you know, that, that's gotta be something that you're passionate about because you, you serve on the board. Yes. So that's gotta be more of a a passion project rather than like, you know, you're not receiving any type of compensation for this. So, so of course, why, what got you associated with the, the chamber? Why, why do you still, you know, you put a lot of work into it. I like, do. Why do you, why do you still engage in that? Like, go ahead and talk about that a little bit. So I got involved with the Hispanic chamber of commerce, um, because back in 2013, um, uh, my father was honored, by the San Joaquin County Hispanic Chamber of Commerce for, um, I believe it was for community, maybe community advocate of the year, some something like that. I, it's been so long, my brain is mush. But he, he received an, honor, an honorary award at their uh, installation dinner. So I, me and my sisters attended. And I just thought, wow, that is so great, you know, that they are highlighting and focusing on all of these different Latino uh, uh, people, businesses. You know, they even had uh, kids up there doing poetry. They were, it was a very um, cultural, eye-opening event for me. So when I came back to Merced and I happened to bump into the, the current Hispanic Chamber of Commerce during that time, they actually approached me during one of the super mixers for the the Merced County uh, Fair. Oh, okay. The ones that they used to have, yeah. you know, where they invited all the chambers of commerce. So I met I met the board at that time, and they had actually asked me if I wanted to sit on their board. So I thought, whoa, this is great, you know. 
So I, I go, you know, I go to their board meetings and then, um, I become a member and, you know, I start paying in and I was at, at first, I was just not sure, you know, just wanting to see what was going on. And I want to say probably maybe a good year after I, I joined and then I, you know, we just kind of, you, you don't really know what you're doing whenever you get on boards, you know, it's usually you, you see like, who's the players, who are the shot callers, you know? Um, what kind of stuff are they involved in? So I, I probably took a backseat for uh, quite a long time because I really wasn't sure my role. <clears throat> so with that said, fast forward, you know, we have uh, we have Renee Gutierrez. You know, we have change in leadership. We have Renee Gutierrez becomes a president. I am their their secretary. Juan Ramon's the vice president. Not knowing that they were, you know, reeling me in. <laughs> to this executive position, I, I was just kind of, okay, yeah, I'll do your secretary. And then I sucked at it, by the way, when I was their secretary. And so, um, and it was so bad that the president and the VP would do their own minutes and agendas. Oh. That's how bad it was. That, that's a, I, that's a special skill though. I, 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 cause I do, I do the minutes and agendas currently for our board meetings, at, uh, you know, anyway, and that, that's a special skill. I would say. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, uh, I, I suck at big that doing that job too. Yeah. So they were so, they were so cute. They were just like, they only, I think they were just trying to just, they were grooming me really is what they were doing. They were grooming me. So then, you know, uh, Renee comes out of his position and then Juan gets in and then now they're asking me to be the vice president. And I was like, Okay, let's get this straight. <laughs> I will be the vice president, but but y'all better not ask me to be president because I'm going to say no way. Heck no. <laughs> so they laughed. They're like, oh, don't worry about it. You're going to be great. And so people were like, oh, you know, then I would get the questions. Are you going to be president one day? I'm like, heck no. I don't want to do that. You know, it was like, it was just, it was fear, honestly. I, I spoke that out of fear, not out of, you know, any malicious feelings. And um, so then you know, the pandemic happens, right? And then they, um, okay, it's time, you know, I get the, the news, it's time, I'm, I'm going to step out. And I was like, no, I'm not ready, you know, because we were like, what's going on? What's going to happen? We're having Zoom meetings, we're talking, you know, we're just trying to figure out how we're going to stay safe, you know, just following all of the mask, you know, mask orders and whatnot. And so, and I was like, I'm not ready, you know, it's like, they're like, don't worry, like, they're going to help me. Like, Renee was like, Renee was like, don't worry, Nessa, I'm going to help you. And Juan was like, don't worry, I'm going to help you. I'm not going to go anywhere. You know, we're not going to just, you know, push you in and that's it, you know. So once they once they passed it on to me, I just, I just took the torch and ran with it. And I feel fortunate, you know, I know that, um, I guess, being a, a small business owner and having control of, of what's going on in my office. So I've had amazing staff that is able and capable to run my office when I'm not there. So when I'm not running my office or I'm not in there, I'm either doing, you know, so I, in the beginning, it was like, I'm doing marketing presentations and visiting, you know, all of my um, partners in the community to support my business. But then Pretty soon as I became president, it became a priority to where I'm now meeting partners in the community for on behalf of the Chamber of Commerce mm -hmm. versus um, my my uh, my business. So I fell in love with the idea of helping people because I've always liked helping people, you know, whether it was monetary or whether it was just um, friends. 
Um, I've always been that person reliable to somebody damsel in distress, you know, damsels in distress, you know, they come, you know, they're breaking up with their boyfriends or they're breaking up with their spouses. And I, you know, Hey, let's get everybody together. I'm calling all my girlfriends up and we're showing up with cars and trucks and whatnot and helping this person move. So, you know, this is almost the same thing in a way, except that these are people I know, or if I don't know, I get to know them. And they are looking for something in uh, the chamber that can help them grow, or they need marketing, or they just need an introduction, whatever that looks like for the business. You know, it was just a matter of taking that torch and running it with it. So that's what's, uh, and that's what kind of is ringing, you know, true to me. Like, so, you know, just from in the 90s, like, like, you already admitted to being very poor, you know, and then you had two kids going to school, putting yourself through school, uh, you know, working and then, you know, then, then getting into insurance, but all of it sounds very, and then what you keep, you know, referring to, right. Is this concept of continually helping people and mm-hmm. wanting to, wanting to help them. And, it, but it's seeming like very, it's, it seems to be colored by your past experiences, right. That where you're like, because of what you went through, you're trying then to kind of help alleviate other people and what they're going through within Absolutely. their community. Absolutely. Like when you grow up that way, um, without, you know, you I learned to appreciate what you have. So once I knew I was already there, like I had enough, uh, or I, I mean, I, people ask me all the time, you know, I'm like, I, I never got into this business to, to be rich. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The company would love for me to be rich. I mean, there's a lot of uh, agents that are, they have 10, people in their office or they have 13 or they have five. I mean, those are big agencies. I only have one and a half sometimes. And for me, it was, I've never, it was never about being rich. It was just enough. I just needed just to pay my bills. You know what I mean? And when you, when you're at that place where, Hey, I can pay my bills and I can help others. Like that for me was like, I knew that I was doing okay. And so being not, focusing on the business and focusing on helping others made it easy for me because now I have the time and the energy to do so, you know, and, and like I said, uh, I want to, I want to say probably, um, first became my love for insurance and falling in love in the industry and how I became so good at it. And then it became helping others and helping them win became something that I fell in love with. And, farmers just only came second you know what i mean mm-hmm. and only because i still have to pay my bills i joke with people all the time like you know what i gotta go because i gotta go to do my my job that really pays me you know <laughs> so then i take off you know but when other people win and i see them winning that's all i need at the end of the day that i knew that i when i go home and i'm tired my feet hurt me or whatever it is that i'm feeling it makes me feel good to know that that i did my best and and Time to go to sleep, close my eyes, and I'm rest. Well, and I think that's what's that's what's great to see about like or hear about your story, right? Is what you are providing to some of these community community members who don't have access, don't have the same kind of you know ability to to kind of raise themselves up a little bit, and just by the help that you're giving them, or or even shining a light on the work that they're doing, right? And like that's so important, like encouraging people to help out these businesses, uh, shining a light on some of the people in the community and the work that they're doing. Like that's, that I think is like, just is incredible to watch. 
And so, I mean, kudos to you. And obviously you have a wonderful board. Absolutely. They're my very board. Supportive. Yeah. I, I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm only one person, you know, if I did not have my directors to support me and staff, you know, I could not have done as much as I've done without their support for sure. And so what keeps you up at night? Like worries about business or the chamber or even the county? Like what is it that, that um, concerns you? Like, so the thing that concerns me right now, obviously, is my uh, my industry. That is what has been keeping me up at night. Uh, my concern, my colleagues were all like in the same predicament, you know, we're feeling stressed and frustrated, you know, that honestly keeps me up late at night, um, not knowing what's going to happen um, for fear that maybe my company might financially go up. I'm not sure of that either. You know, I'm preparing myself for my my father gave me the best advice and on anything that I ever gone through in life he always he has he always told me expect the worst so that way if the worst does happen I'm not shocked right (laughs) you're not shocked you're not surprised but if you expect the worst and the worst doesn't happen then you are totally not disappointed you're like it's an opposite effect Mm -hmm. so I mean it kind of I don't know if anybody else would be like, dang, that's, a, you know, that's harsh. But for me, I do expect the worst because when the worst doesn't happen, I'm like, oh, hallelujah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, yes, I'm like, praise God. And then and then I can move on and, and I, I'm i okay. You know what yeah. I mean? But if the worst happens, I'm like, okay, I was already mourning it, right? It happened. Let me mourn it and move on and get over it. You know, so it's kind of like that's what, what concerns me at night. Yeah, as far as uh, the Chamber of Commerce, I mean, I think we're doing great right now. Um, my my goal when I became president, of course, was always to give and gift the tool of leadership for all of the directors because I never want anyone to feel the way I did when coming into the position, like they're dreading it, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that shouldn't, it would be, it should be something of excitement, you know, like, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to lead this organization. I'm going to develop this relationship and partnerships in the community and continue them. You know, they're going to continue them. They're going to make new ones. So for me, that was something important because I knew everybody was on the same track as far as wanting to help support uh, the small business community uh, and large, you know, obviously. Um, but at the same token, um, I wanted to build leaders in within our, our group. And um, I've seen a lot of growth with a lot of my directors. And it makes me super excited because I can't wait to see what they their legacy looks like when they take the wheel and I and I get out of the driver's seat. Yeah. And. So what are what are some things about a chamber that people may not know? Like, wh- what is your primary focus with the chamber and these small businesses? Like, so with chambers of commerces, uh, we provide um, it's a, it's services. You know, it's services on every aspect that you can think of when it involves business. Mm-hmm. It could be money. It could be marketing. It could be advertising. It could be. Um, maybe social media, it could be a lot of different things, right? It could be employment problems, you know, or employee problems, or they're having a problem and they need direction on an attorney recommendations, you know, for the employer. So the Chambers of Commerce is uh, basically a hub within every city in the United States because it's a, it's a nationwide 
uh, organization. Mm -hmm. We're nonprofit, so mm -hmm. we're not getting rich. Right. But um, it's uh, it's a it's a support to help small business to continue to create the commerce to help the 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 economy to continue to grow within the city. Um, what people don't know is um, most chambers, um, like I said, are nonprofit. They're not in it for profit. Some of them are um, all um, volunteer work like us. We nobody gets paid. Um, any money raised and fundraise, um, which we do a lot of fundraisers, is for operational purposes. We have to pay our rent. We have to pay our, you know, our <laughs> utilities. So that's a huge deal for us. But the focus, um, the focus is getting the information out to the community and the business community. But most importantly, our members, because they buy into this membership as soon as we get it. You know, there's assembly bill coming out of Sacramento and they need uh, they want us to support the bill. Well, what if the business community doesn't want to support the bill? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, or what if they do? You know, we just created a GRC uh, committee, which uh, our director, Julian Villafaña, is our um, chairman for that group. And he's building that um program for the chamber of commerce it's been something that's been oh, long overdue for us we've never had that in our in our you know in our group so i'm really proud of of um julian for what he's you know doing with that um and uh, other things that they don't know is that um it could be somebody who wants to get into business, right? I have entrepreneurs are born every day. I mean, you have a crazy idea and you want to, how do I develop this, right? Call the, the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. We can plug you in with some free business advisors. We have relationships with the SBDC as you know, you all, I know you all know that, but the community does not know. We have these relationships within the community that are free to help you develop this, uh, this idea about opening a new business, right? Yeah, what I think is really important is all of the different workshops that you, you offer, the different um, ways that you offer people to connect. I think the number one thing that I've always seen, and I think we've talked about this, is um, we get into business because we have a great idea, mm -hmm. but we don't necessarily have an idea of how to support that great idea. Right. And I, most of the time when I see businesses fail, it's because, yeah, they, they didn't do their, they don't have their QuickBooks in order. They don't have this in order. They don't know how to do this. And so I think some of the things that I've seen you all provide, it helps kind of close that gap as far as uh, oh, yeah. like, hey, by the way, perhaps you should consider opening uh, a business checking account. Maybe you separate <laughs> your own personal finances right. from your business finances. Right. Just those small things that I, that I know that you have offered to people in the past, I think can be invaluable. For uh, sure. I mean, I, I got to tell you, like, like I said, this is a, this is a very honest thing. Um, I'm glad we're doing this podcast. So I made a lot of mistakes early on in my career. Mm -hmm. So that's actually helped build these ideas as workshops for my, our members, because like you said about QuickBooks, I, I did not know how to do QuickBooks. I used to save every darn receipt and stick it in a yellow envelope and <laughs> hand it over to my, my accountant, you know, and then, which I don't have to do, you know what I mean? It's, there's QuickBooks for that, you know, and I actually took a course that the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce offered, and I took that and learned how to stop saving receipts or maybe not so many. Mm -hmm. The other thing I learned is that I hired a staff on a 1099, which I never should have did. 
But yep. because I did, it um, got me in a lot of financial trouble, not only with EDD, but um, fixing the those 1090, 1099 forms and converting them back to that uh, W employee. Yeah. Oh, wow. That was a very, very, very expensive learning lesson. So sure. those are those hard learned lessons that I did financially. Uh, is why the what these workshops continue to do for others because I'm like I would never want somebody to go financially go through what I went through. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think we all learn from our mistakes. I, like most of the time, I tell everyone is all like I'm. Everything I do nowadays is just based off of all the mistakes that I've been making for the last you know, <laughs> 42 years at this point. For sure. But um, do you all accept donations or or how, how much is a membership? Like how how do we support the chamber? So we have a we have a breakdown of of the uh, membership according to size, right? So we have a member. Uh, I'll give you an example: one woman, one man show. You know, which could be um, Avon lady, mm-hmm. um, maybe somebody who does mobile flower service. Somebody who does a, a mobile detail for your vehicle. There's only one person. That would be. Um, membership for the year and they could take advantage of of all the services that maybe a corporation would have right so then the next level is um like two employees or more i think it's up to five that uh, membership's 175 so like for myself since i'm a small agency and it's only two of us so i pay 175 a year for that for that membership the next membership after that, I believe it's 275. So that's nine or more, 275. And then I think after that, it's like a 550 membership for uh, 25 plus employees. And then when we get to the level of, uh, we have uh, corporate, if you want access to uh, our signature events, to be able to participate and sponsor and, and um, basically um, promote your business through these events, then there's our corporate prospectus, which I'll just give an example. I think there's a package for like $2,500. Um, you pay that money and then you get like tickets to the Latina luncheon. You get tickets to our installation dinner. Your, your business goes into our programs, both. Um, and then they have, we have our Mercado night market and, uh, your, your logo would go on the uh, program for that as well. So they have that one, they have higher, and then they have like all, we call them a la carte, but basically let's say your favorite event of the whole year is just the Mercados and you want to just sponsor that only, then we, we, you know, put you on our marketing material and make sure your banners are up during the event. And I think that's, well, thank you for sharing, because really, if you want to become a member. It's really just at this point, you're going to spend that money anyway, if you're going to make a donation to, I, that's why I think people get confused, right? Is chamber of commerce is a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it works just the same as other nonprofits in there, except this nonprofit primarily helps businesses, mm-hmm. which again, helps the community at large, right, right. fills a definitive need within the County. So for, you know, 150, 200 bucks that, that, that to become a member and then to be able to get access to that 
that community to yeah. be interconnected. Yeah. And, you're, and all of the members always know first when we're having our ribbon cuttings, our mixers. So there's an opportunity to do some good old fashioned, um, you know, building your network. If you're brand new in business, you want to meet other people yeah. who primarily can support your business or spread the word. I mean, we're all using social media. You know, mm -hmm. that's that's what we got to do. You know, we got to just share and support each other. And that's really what it is. It's just a, a circle of friends, a circle mm -hmm. of uh, small businesses all coming together to support each other. It's community building. I mean, Absolutely. You're, you're building a community Absolutely. with your organization. And then, you know, if you want to become one of the bigger corporate sponsors, I mean, there's no better bang for your for your buck. If you're if you are considering what you get just by being a sponsor with all the events that you put on with the additional advertising, but again, being part of that interconnected community, I think is really invaluable, because I think everything's moving back to that. I think we got used to like throwing everything online during COVID, but I think now people <laughs> really are missing like, yeah, events being connected, mm -hmm. like, like face to face, I think everyone's really missing that. Yeah, and and I also um, want to just touch on the, you know, we're we're a five hundred one c six, so we can't accept donations. We can no. only accept uh, sponsorships. Mm -hmm. So um, during twenty nineteen, the our current board at that time created a uh, scholarship foundation because we used to manage um, two major found uh, scholarships w uh, within the Chamber of Commerce. One was the of course our uh, Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Uh, scholarship foundation uh, monies and then we had the Linda Lopez uh, monies that we were giving to uh, individuals so with that 501 uh, c3 now in existence uh, we were able to create a different board so that way anyone who does only wants to donate to a 501 c3 we do have an active uh, tax ID number for those uh, persons to be able to not only give back to the community, but they're giving money to future scholars of Merced County. And we give the money to the high school seniors countywide. So all of the high schools get the criteria uh, during, um, usually it happens around February, and then they are selected around March, April. And the monies are distributed at that after that. So that's through our, our uh, foundation. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. What about you? You you've you've listened. What do you have? Yeah. I'm sure you got plenty. Well, but before you leave us, so uh, let me let me walk let me walk some things back for you. No problem. Walk them back. Walk them back. Single mother of two of two boys that you didn't murder. <laughs> uh, successfully completed a degree program. That yes, took sir. You 20 years. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Owner of a successful uh, business that you started. Yes, sir. Uh, president, although against your will, of the, <laughs> uh, the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Um, you talk about how you always prefer for the worst, you know, but hope for the best. Correct. But through your story, you have a, you have a series of successes that come out of some very hard times. You're continuously successful. You don't get there without having some hope for the future, for a better future for yourself. So I want you to leave us with a moment of optimism. What is it about the future that you think is, is going to be better? What, what, what keeps you going knowing that there's going to be a better future ahead of us? Ahead of me? Well, I spent a good amount of time in the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, I want to say at least minimum 10 years, right? And 
my hope and my optimism is that I, before I leave the chamber, because I can't be president forever, that the next group of people that are current with us is going to be better. I know it's going to be better than in its current state right now, because we have young, fresh, uh, like-minded, energetic individuals on the board of directors. And we're constantly evolving. We're constantly listening to our members and what they want. So I know the best is yet to come. I know it for a fact. And I'm so excited. I can't wait to see what the next president looks like, which is going to be Uriah Perez. He's my current vice president and uh, owner of his own clothing line, Blessed Up. Mm -hmm. uh, shout out, by the way. <laughs> He's also DJ Tag. He, he provides a lot of, uh, you know, entertainment yeah. uh, for like Tarmac yeah. over in Atwater. Yeah. But I, I know that uh, our relationships are going to continue to grow. You know, we have, uh, I know that you're going to have another uh, nonprofit come in after us, which is Cultiva La Salud. That's my best friend. And mm -hmm. we've had amazing work together as uh, two nonprofits, you know, coming together to help support the community. And that's exactly what we're about is collaborating with the other community organizations to help elevate their own mission in whatever that is. And I know that I know that the the Chamber of Commerce is is in great hands right now because, like I said, we have young, vibrant, energetic people, and I can't wait to see what that looks like. You uh, you asked the question, "What's the worst that could happen?" That's the question that you ask a lot, right? You uh -huh. like, be prepared for the worst. What's the worst can happen? Your life says, "What's the best?" My life says, "What's the best?" Yeah, you're absolutely right. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah, no Thank problem. You. Thank you for having me. Absolutely.